0: Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today we're once again considering the impact of the terrible events in Ukraine on global markets. While it's impossible to look past the terrible humanitarian cost, it is incumbent on some institutions to attempt to do exactly that as hard as it is. They have an obligation to their clients and investors, of course, to try and mitigate the impact that the conflict has had in terms of uncertainty and market volatility and large swings in equities, bonds and commodities. As the humanitarian costs continue to mount, so have restrictive global policies aimed at Russia, including the recent US ban on oil imports. Against this backdrop, it's safe to expect continued volatility in the weeks ahead. On the programme, our special guest this week will answer some of the biggest questions all of these dynamics throw up for investors, including whether the events will trigger a global recession, what the outlook is for commodities, if it's the time to sell now, and what safe haven or hedging options exist. Chris Swan, a strategist in the UBS CIO in Switzerland, is one of the authors of a freshly published UBS CIO Global Financial Markets Report on the Ukraine Conflict, which sets out some answers to those key questions. Chris, welcome back to the programme. Let me begin by asking, could what we have been witnessing in Ukraine and across the wider region indeed, could those events trigger a global recession?
1: The main concern of everyone is on the uh, humanitarian uh, crisis that's unfolding, uh, but also uh, investors uh, obviously uh, sort of carefully looking at uh, the outlook for inflation and rates and. uh, Uh, the broader repercussions for markets. The the direct repercussions are probably relatively modest, given that uh, Russia and Ukraine account for about 2% of uh, global GDP. But where the impact is obviously greater is on those second round effects, um, both nations being very, very significant uh, commodity exporters. And really, probably the main impact will be on Brent crude, which has had remarkable degree of volatility so i mean over the past couple of weeks it's sort of ranged between 139 dollars a barrel and about now at about hundred dollars a barrel uh, so that really is gyrating and uh, energy costs can have a considerable effect on uh, economic growth our expectation so far based on a sort of base case of uh, uh, a ceasefire and a hostile rhetoric between uh, NATO and Russia subsiding around the summer uh, would be that we don't get to the kind of uh, energy spike that is going to precipitate a global recession. So on the calculations we've made, if, if rent remains above, you know, $125 for around six months, that shaves about half a percentage point of uh, global GDP this year. And that, given that we're sort of way above trend growth at the moment, uh, that doesn't uh, produce a global recession.
0: Where will commodity prices go from here, Chris, in your view?
1: It's not an easy question to answer, partly because a lot of the outcome will really depend on how long the conflict lasts, how intense the sanctions are on Russian energy. We've, We've started to see direct sanctions impacting the Russian energy sector, including a ban on imports from the US and a more sort of gradual tapering off from the UK, along with maybe slightly longer term plans from the European Union to reduce reliance on Russian natural gas. Our view is that uh, a lot of commodity markets were already pretty tight even before this, particularly again, sort of keeping the focus on energy, although there are you know sort of other impacts on industrial metals and grains which have shot up recently. That it's it's a little hard for the global system to replace Russian oil one for one. So we've got relatively limited excess supply from OPEC, maybe around 1.8 million barrels a day, which is less than. Two percent of global supply, so there's not a lot of capacity there, and OPEC has already been struggling to raise supplies and uh, sort of meet meet the quotas. Uh, so, so generally speaking, I think we think that yeah, the, the uh, there's a lot supporting energy prices in particular, um, in terms of the gradual reopening of the global economy despite you know as we've seen recently china reimposing lockdowns historically they haven't had a huge impact so our overall view is that uh, the demand for energy uh, reaches a record over the course of the year So we've almost entirely recovered, more than recovered from the impact of the pandemic. So energy prices are very well supported in in our view. And of course, they could spike higher if there's a further deterioration in the conflict, which makes them a pretty good uh, hedge against uh, those kind of risks.
0: So, Chris, let me ask you then my next question is, I guess another one which will be on the minds of investors, front of mind indeed, is should I sell now then, given the backdrop you've described? And I suppose in the event of a sell-off, what do the safe haven assets look like? Should that
1: come to, should that come to pass? Yeah, so our view here is yeah, you can have a long-term and a short-term strategy. In the shorter term, I think if you're... If your allocation to equities is above your strategic target, uh, so if you have a sort of tactical overweight, it might not be a bad time to sort of return that to your target. We have a tremendous amount of uncertainty overhanging markets, and a lot of these are just imponderables, very, very hard to predict, including the intentions of of uh, Russian pres- President uh, Putin and uh, you know the course of the diplomatic solution and also you know we're starting to get a sense of how central banks are responding to this but that will be a very dynamic process So essentially we have a series of sort of political unknowns combined with a series of economic unknowns and uh, markets are going to adjust to that. So given that uncertainty, a neutral position with some sectoral overweight and some areas of underweight is probably the most uh, sensible strategy. So retreating completely from markets, uh, selling down is generally not the best response. And we don't think it is now either. Historically, the impact of geopolitical crises has worked its way through relatively swiftly, even if the humanitarian and um, other costs uh, linger for a considerable amount of time. So the important thing is for investors not to act rashly.
0: Um, let's talk a bit then about hedging a, a portfolio. And I appreciate we've already sort of alluded to a couple of ideas and it's mm-hmm. worth underscoring it right at the top that there is no one size fits all, of course. But that being said, um, I guess it comes back to some old mantras we're familiar with about diversification
1: and uh, yeah, being what somewhat sort of open-minded, I guess. Well, totally diversification. I mean, it's also actually worth noting that there are some traditional hedges that might not be a particularly good idea at the moment and loathed as I am ever to criticise the Swiss franc, that might be one of them, Uh, just because the Swiss economy is very exposed to Europe, which in turn is very exposed to the crisis. Uh, Gold also faces some headwinds in in a time of when uh, real yields are rising. So that increases the opportunity cost of uh, holding gold. Uh, So so what's left? (laughs) So we have we have the US dollar which does tend to do well when risk aversion is increasing. And you know over the long term we think it's somewhat overvalued, but it could benefit in the near term by this combination of heightened political risk. So it's already gone up quite a bit actually on the DXY index. Uh, Combined with the fact that the Fed has just increased rates for the first time since 2018 and is also sounding pretty hawkish. (laughs) So, yeah, so that combination makes the dollar a potential hedge. Uh, We mentioned earlier commodities, particularly the energy sector and energy equity. So energy equities. Uh, have uh, done well recently, but they haven't entirely reflected the uh, changed environment or the increase, uh, the full increase in the oil price uh, over the past year or so, and particularly the latest increase. Those are probably the main hedges that at the moment we see as being most attractive.
0: What about this phrase, uh, you know, buying the dip, uh, which is one of the sort of observations people make it in times of, of volatility. We, we understand that volatility is likely to remain high, at least in the, in the near term. Is it the time to
1: buy the dip? What do you make of that one? If you have a really long term focus, uh, which we recommend investors do, do sure should have, uh, then finding areas of value is uh, probably what you want to do rather than indiscriminately buying the market Uh, so we see sort of considerable upside potential in we've been calling it the abcs of technology so artificial intelligence uh, big data and cyber security so valuations in a lot of the tech sector have come down considerably and that does provide a somewhat better entry point for select areas which are supported by really long-term trends. I mean, it may be worth highlighting cyber security here. The use of um, cyber uh, techniques has been a fairly prominent feature in uh, the conflict. And uh, yeah, it's, it's also sort of underlining to companies, governments, uh, the need to invest more in that. So it's a sector that was already sort of benefiting from long-term structural trends. And I think this conflict will, it looks likely to sort of underscore the need for investment.
0: Excellent, yeah, and actually, if listeners are interested in that, we talked, we did a program all about the ABCs of tech a, a few weeks ago, so people can oh. listen back to that one uh, from our from our Fantastic. archive of programs, which is all very joined up, which is good. And uh, would look just finally, I know the report uh, that we are kind of discussing uh, at the end, so it of says, you know, well, here's the the big question then: buy now or wait? Just very briefly, and as a final a final thought, Chris, you know, what 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 is your answer if people ask you that question? Should I buy now or wait?
1: Well, yeah, it's partly that. Um buying into select areas where you see value is uh, can be a good idea but there are also you know for people who are s- sort of sensitive about near-term volatility there can be more cautious ways of entering the market particularly if you have say a lump sum so yeah this can include you know, dollar cost averaging where you gradually uh, put uh, uh, funds to work uh, it can also involve things like sort of put writing strategies or, various other sort of um, techniques for gradually entering the market as it falls.
0: Chris Swan. Now, we've been covering the conflict in Ukraine across our daily news programmes on Monocle 24.2, so do be sure to follow the likes of The Globalist to ensure you're staying informed. Part of the challenge in keeping pace in volatile times is ensuring one hears a different perspective. And as we've a little time on the bulletin this week, here's a clip from our programme, The Foreign Desk, featuring Ukraine's ambassador to the United Kingdom, Vadim Pristaiko. Here is the ambassador in conversation with Monocle's Andrew Muller.
2: Although the stance, the political stance, the political support, the humanitarian support, the, the financial support is here, Some of the nations are going well beyond this, like UK, US, Poland, providing the lethal weapons, allowing us to defend ourselves. But we still, we're missing some very important things which are not allowing us to finish up this war. One of those is the no-fly zone. I understand how critical it is, but this is extremely important. But there are some other things which would allow us to take care of our future, ourselves. And this is like providing weapons we are are lacking right now. So to put it simple, we are happy that this support is growing and position is becoming more and more united. But again, it's not enough to help us finish this war yet. And the the stance of the whole world and the the resilience of Ukraine is quite unexpected too. Now Putin faces the problem is that he still believes the speech and tried to push hard as hard as he can, throwing as many people as he can, and threatening everybody else around the globe with nuclear and chemical and bacteriological, this is going really nuts, you know, really crazy. Look at their attempt to reach out to China. What happened to the second biggest army? Now they they're asking, begging for help from China to deal with who? With a much smaller Ukrainian army. That's how how great mistake he made. Now he has two choices is to recognise mistake and tell his own people that he actually ordered his soldiers to kill their brothers and sisters in the pursuit of, I don't know, some political gains. Or he will throw everything at Ukraine just to crush and actually make the point. We are in a very critical moment right now.
0: Ukraine's ambassador to the United Kingdom, Vadim Prostyko, talking to Andrew Miller on this week's edition of The Foreign Desk. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.